Um, it is good to be here. Um, it is really good to be here. Um, I'm Helen. I'm on the leadership team here at Central. And as we're just sitting there, I was thinking there is something special and significant about those times that we gather. And so thank you for being here. And I know that in some ways you're sitting and you will listen to me, but I want to invite you to have a conversation, probably more with God than with me this morning. And so as we take some time to listen to a passage from the Bible, all the way through that, just be thinking, God, what do you want me to notice? And as I share some thoughts, we're looking at community today, as I share some thoughts, just be having that conversation with God of, God, what do you want me to notice? But I also think we'd be remiss to look at community and not be thinking, God, what do you want us to notice? So I just want to invite you to have that conversation with him in this section um, of this morning. I thought this morning we might take some time to consider an incident tucked away towards the end of Luke. It's found in Luke chapter 4. You uh, might have come across this before or maybe not, but sometimes it's referred to in shorthand as the road to Emmaus. And, and so if it just, so the context coming up to this is Jesus has died and risen and the word is beginning to filter out to the disciples about what has or is happening. And there's a group of people, at least two, walking on the road to Emmaus and we join with them as they chat. As we listen to this passage, I thought it would be good to actually listen to this incident through the voices of the people on the road. I always think there's a danger when we are reading the Bible publicly, and maybe you don't do this, but sometimes I find if a passage is long, I maybe think about, I wish I'd got more coffee, or what am I going to have for lunch, and I must make sure I get chatting to. And so so I want to invite you to stay with us, and so I thought I would do it a wee bit differently, and rather than me reading the passage from Luke, I would invite some people to help us. And I thought we could listen to the incident through the voices of Cleop, the narrator, so somebody to kind of keep us on the track. Cleopas, who's one of the people identified, he's walking along the road. His friend, we don't have a name for them in the passage, and Jesus. And so as we could listen to these four voices as they take us through the incident. And so I'm going to ask some folks to come back up and join me. Um, so Dave, I wonder, would you come back up? I'd like you to take on uh, the words of Cleopas. And I've asked Joy if she would be Cleopas's friend uh, for this story. Um, Gillian, will you come and be our narrator this morning? And then Stu, I wonder, would you read the words of Jesus? Um, I've asked these guys to read it through twice. Um, And just what I want you to do on their first listen is just get your head around what's happening. Okay, who's involved? What's going on here? What do I need to notice? Just give yourself time to listen to the story for the first time or give yourself time to be refreshed. And then the second time, I want us to kind of lean in and consider what are we noticing? So just allow yourself time to kind of re-engage or engage with this passage. Gillian. Same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? But Jesus of Nazareth, 
He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe that all of all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Messiah not suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they find the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Okay, so we've listened to the incident. We've got our head around the characters and what's happening. I want you to listen again, but just in your conversation with God, what does he want you to notice? Uh, Lean in. You've got your head around the story, what's happening, but what do you need to notice? It might be a word, might be a phrase, might be a character, but just listen again, and what can you notice? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the, the Lord, Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Thank you. I wonder what struck you. I wonder what elements of this incident have grabbed your attention. Was it a character? Was it words spoken? Was it the emotions of this scene? Hold on to whatever it is that has grabbed your attention. Yes, I want to unpack this together, but I don't want to lose sight of what God is already prompting in you. So take a moment and note that. Right, let's look at this together. I've split it into four scenes. Scene one, the walking and the chatting. Scene two, the stranger joins with them and engages in conversation. Scene three, they invite Jesus to stay. And scene four, back to Jerusalem. So first scene, walking and talking. Right at the beginning of this, we join the disciples walking and chatting. Uh, again, I don't know, but often when we read the Bible, we forget the perspective that we carry. We know what happens. We turn the page. We scan down. We know what's coming. We know Jesus is victorious. And so often it's easy to be critical or sanctimonious about people in the Bible. So let's not. Let's simply recognize that these people are really vulnerable. And so we join them at a time of deep uncertainty, vulnerability rocked to the core. And they're talking about what's going on and they're sharing how they feel. And I don't know if you can identify with this emotion. I'm guessing that we've all had to varying degrees, all had moments in our lives when we have been taken deeply by surprise to such an extent that it has rocked us. It has caused us to doubt ourselves, each other, life, purpose. And so as we join in this conversation, perhaps allow ourselves to be there too, vulnerable, uncertain, trying to make sense of it all. Interestingly, in the words used in the text that portray this conversation, it's not just a chat, but it's an intense, it has an, a debating quality. And when you think about that, you begin to appreciate the emotions they're trying to make sense of it. They're bouncing off each other. They're trying to get their head around what has happened. What does this mean? Has Jesus really risen? For the disciples, Jesus' death had spelled a seeming end to their hope. Even with the news of an empty tomb, it seems the disciples are not, disciples are not yet convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in that moment, someone else joins them on the road. Now, we know it's Jesus, but they don't. And so scene two, stranger joins them and engages in the conversation. Passage says they were kept from recognizing them, but Jesus joins them. And firstly, that blows my mind. At this history altering time, where do we find Jesus? On an indiscriminate road with some folks who are feeling vulnerable and uncertain. I mean, why is he walking out of Jerusalem? Why is he on this road to Emmaus? 
And I cannot help but think that is exactly how God works. He prioritizes the vulnerable, the uncertain, taking time with the one or two. Let the truth of that settle on you. Where does Jesus turn up? What do you believe about where or how Jesus turns up? I wonder, do we need to remember this side of God's character? Do you remember that that's where Jesus chooses to turn up? That's what he prioritized. Not the razzmatazz, but the one or two. Not the places of strength, but of weakness. Not where knowledge is strong, but where there's uncertainty. And I can't help but wonder, what kind of picture does this paint of a community where God is present? And I'll come back to that later. And so he joins in. And again, at this moment, I am really challenged because I don't know how I would react if I was in the middle of a big, deep and meaningful conversation and a stranger tried to join in. I imagine I might be annoyed and frustrated. I don't know that I would handle it well, or at least I wouldn't handle it well internally. Thankfully, they do not react like me. Uh, They don't give Jesus the brush off but they involve him in their conversation. He, as in Jesus, asks them, why are you discussing, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Passage says they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asks. I mean, they were surprised that he didn't seem to know what they were talking about and they try to explain and they tell Jesus about Jesus. They talk about what they know, Jesus the prophet, how he was sentenced to death and crucified, how they had hoped he would redeem Israel, how they'd found out that Jesus' body was missing and how some of the women told them that they'd heard Jesus was alive and how some of their friends had checked it out and found the tomb was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. I mean, you can feel their vulnerability, can't you? They had thought one thing would happen, and it seemed the complete opposite. They had thought Jesus would redeem Israel, and now, well, they didn't know. And then Jesus, the stranger on the road, kicks in and says, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. You know, as I listen to this, I wonder what did Jesus make of these disciples? Throughout his life, he tried to help the disciples understand the bigger picture, to see how the story of God fitted together, to understand the nature of Jesus himself. And here he is again, explaining it all. And yet I can't help but be aware of how many times in my life I have needed God to repeat things, to go back and tell me again, to allow me to question. And so beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. By taking them back to scripture, Jesus is noting that what took place was part of God's plan and promise. I mean, there's a bit of me would love to have been there as Jesus unpacks himself to these people from across scripture. I mean, that must have been quite a conversation. 
When I imagine it, I imagine them butting in, asking questions. Or when Jesus pauses, he might go, well, but what about this? Tell me more about that. It must have been an unbelievable time. And I love that. No clock watching. Just walking and talking. Now, I don't know what part of the journey they crossed paths with Jesus, but that road from Emmaus to Jerusalem was about seven miles. So they had opportunity to chat. Unhurried time. Even with the gift of hindsight, hindsight, and that would come for these disciples, this was quite an amazing conversation. And don't you just love the next part? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. Scene three, they invite Jesus to stay. Jesus continued on as if going further. He didn't expect anything from them. He allowed them to invite him into their homes. Oh, isn't that just such a picture of God? He does not force himself on us. He gently shares who he is and allows us to respond. He doesn't force himself on us. He gently shares who he is and allows us to respond. The God who joins you, the God who comes alongside, now quietly waits for an invitation. And thankfully, again, they don't miss the moment. They urge him strongly, come on, come on. And he goes in and stays with them. And it moves from a conversation to communion. And we read, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized them. Him, wow. Again, can you just imagine that moment? You're sitting around the table and you realize Jesus is in your midst. This is a holy moment as you partake in communion with your risen king. And then Jesus disappears. Why? I don't know. Maybe his job was over. Maybe he'd done what he needed to do for this family. And the passage says he disappeared from their sights And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up scriptures to us? It all fits together, the wisdom of the stranger, the sense of his insight and teaching. And don't you just love their response? It's like, oh, of course. It makes sense. I mean, we knew it when he spoke, when he explained. And then they get up and they go back to Jerusalem. No rest, back on the road. Scene four, back to Jerusalem. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I wonder, did they rush? You know, it was a bit of a, a run a bit, a bit of a quicker pace because they had to tell their friends. They had to tell their friends, it is true. Jesus has risen. The passage says, there they found the 11 and those with them assembled and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is an incredibly special account. Disciples walking home, sharing life. Jesus joining and engaging in their conversation. They inviting him to join with them and Jesus taking time with a family. So I guess you might wonder why I'm recounting this story this morning because today is about community. We're exploring the second of our values that we have here at Central. And the reason I'm telling you this instant, because I think it is an amazing display of community. 
disciples walking and sharing, a stranger joining them and engaging in conversation, an invitation to stay, a move from conversation to communion, and it doesn't end there. They needed to share it. A picture of how disciples engage with the tough elements of life. A picture of how disciples respond to a stranger in their midst. A picture of hospitality. A picture of deep communion. And a picture of what happens when you meet with Jesus. You have to share the news. What an amazing picture God paints in this incident of hope and purpose that he has for community. But also note, it is utterly ordinary. And can I just say that some of the visuals that I use are just different depictions of the scene from artists across the world and down through the years. So let's go back to these scenes. The first scene, a picture of how disciples engage with the tough elements of life. Friends, partners, sharing in their despair, asking questions of each other, sharing in significant life moments. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of community. Companions not just sharing life, not just friends out for a walk, just going about normal life, but friends sharing deep things, talking about deep things, asking questions of themselves and each other. I love that. I urge you to carry that image of community with you. Is this how you live? Or what could you do to foster a bit more of that in your life? What could you do? Are you asking questions of each other? Are you spurring each other on? You know, interestingly, often we jump to the conclusion that this is two men on the road, that the disciples are both men. And actually, there's some historical evidence to suggest that one of them is a female and perhaps even the wife of Cleopas. And so maybe we have a couple talking away, trying to make sense of what is going on. I love that image because it widens that picture of community, friends, partners, males, females. And I came across this quote from uh, Victoria Emily Jones, and I just loved it. She says, ultimately, we don't know who was with Cleopas that day. We need not dizzy ourselves trying to figure it out. But I do think we should be careful about our assumptions. And maybe this ambiguity was intentional on the part of Luke as well. Maybe Luke's failure to identify the traveller by name or gender may well have been a strategy of inviting the reader to identify implicitly with that person and thus make the journey as Cleopas's companion. I love that, that, that suggestion to be slow on our assumptions, but allow ourselves to be drawn in. Allow ourselves to step into those shoes as Cleopas's companion. Second scene is a picture of how disciples respond to a stranger in the midst. And there, just as Luke tries to draw us into the story, the story itself shows how these strangers welcomed each other. And I think that exposes a key aspect of community, invitation and welcome. Firstly, you are welcome. You are drawn in. You have a place you are not scrambling for a place. It is clear. You are welcome. And the community that we seek to be part of, it is really quite unique. It welcomes the stranger. It willingly exchanges ideas and perspectives. 
It wants to learn. And I think the inclusion of the stranger is really important. It's easy to hold some romantic idea of church community, that we're all friends, thinking the same about everything, but that is not the picture of church community. Church community is a diverse people that gathers around Jesus. That's the key. We gather around Jesus. He calls us something bigger than friendship. Just this week, I came across this description from Jan Johnson, and I found it really challenging. And so I wanted to share it with you. And she said, often we confuse Christian community with special friendships, but there are different kinds of benefits and qualities. And so she made a list of, um, of qualities of special friendships. Uh, Jamie, if you throw, yeah. And she says, in special friendships, you, you know each other, what each other's thinking, you agree on almost everything, you say just what the other needs to hear, you give each other special gifts, you get upset with each other, but you work it out. You love to do the same activities. You're astounded at what good friends uh, you are. That's special friendships. And then she put up this list of Christian community. You disagree, but still listen to each other. You're committed to listening to God's call on each other's life. You're committed to praying for each other. Side by side, you give gifts of service. When you're angered, you walk away, process it with, with God, and consider how God is using this person in your life. You have many differences with this person. You're astounded at how God uses such ordinary relationships in your life. I find that a really challenging but inspiring list. What if we disagree but still listen to each other? What if we are committed to listening to God's call on each other's life? What if we're committed to praying for each other? What if we side by side with each other give gifts of service? What if when we're angered we walk away, we process it with God and we consider how God is using this person in our life? What if we cherish the differences that we have? What if we revel in how God uses such ordinary relationships in our lives? We need to ditch some romantic view that we have of community and embrace something bigger and something that, is, that will not work unless it's utterly centered around Jesus. May we be this kind of people, not just for each other, but for this city. The next scene is a picture of hospitality. Table, there's something significant about table. The setting is no mistake. It's a major theme of Luke, as many of the resurrection appearances he describes are associated with table fellowship. At the table, Jesus is revealed. It is through listening, sitting with Jesus and listening to him that we get to know him. Who is gathered around your table? Now hold on here. Let's not go all Christmas dinner, fancy napkins and so much food you can't move. But who's there for beans on toast? Who's there for a quick ham and cheese sandwich? Who is gathered around your table? And are your conversations 
ushering in Jesus. Now hear me carefully, that's not to close down chat or crack or heap some false guilt on you, but simply to say, do you know the potential power of table? Might you live a life that welcomes people to your table and at the same time welcomes Jesus? Look around the room. Who could you meet for a coffee? Who could you have round for a ham and cheese sandwich? And as you do that, maybe ask, God, who do I invite? Because that way, no one is left out. And maybe it's simple. Maybe it's a person in your community or someone that you got chatting to in the coffee queue and you just want to grab another cuppa later in the week. Are you opening up your homes? Are you inviting each other in? Enjoying not just hospitality, but deeper connection. And in all of this holds to keeping Jesus at the center. We are going after community with Jesus. And maybe along the way, we'll get to have some holy moments where it moves from conversations to communion. A scene paints a picture of deep communion. And that, to me, is another aspect that this incident highlights to me. Community needs the presence of Jesus. There's no community without Jesus. It's just a shadow of the real thing. Let's not settle for shadow community, but find ways to seek the real thing. Deeper community is unlocked where Jesus is present. Go back to this incident. What happens when Jesus joins The conversation changes, a wider perspective is ushered in. No longer is it about the here and now, but we begin to see the past, the present, and the future. And there's depth offered. Jesus allows them to respond, and they invite him to stay. And so we move from conversation to communion. Community is vital, we need it. But actually, the community we hold to, the one that we want, we need Jesus to be present. So we're keeping him center. Are we, am I letting him join in with my conversations? Join in with my thinking? Join in when I'm feeling vulnerable? Am I letting him school me? Teach me more of his ways? Opening up my eyes to who he is and what he's about? I think this account of a walk home, a conversation between strangers, a meal around the table, displays a really powerful picture of community that is raw and ordinary. Community is not limited to that our formal Sunday gathering, though that can be part of it. Community is how we treat each other, it's how we care. So are you talking together? And when you're in the middle of some deep, meaningful conversation, Are you looking around and seeing who else could join in? Very simply, we can do that here. Chat to the person beside you in the coffee queue or in the row in front or behind you or after church, find someone you haven't spoken to or haven't spoken to for a while. But also, are you taking those opportunities to build quality? So when the tough stuff happens, you can talk together. Is this the kind of friendships that we're building in our communities or in the teams that we serve? And are we spurring each other on? Are we championing each other? Are we welcoming each other? I love this picture of community in the ordinary, walking home in this difficult season when life is not going as planned. 
Let me ask um, a hard question. Are you being honest with Jesus right now? Would you be willing to be honest with Jesus? Because I think he turns up in honest places. I think he turns up in vulnerable places. And if you need convincing, look to this story. Jesus has risen from the dead, and where do we find him? Not in a temple, not in the middle of huge crowds going, here I am, but on the road with some companions who needed him. We don't hold on to a value of community because we are okay. We hold on to a value of community because we need Jesus. We need something bigger than ourselves. History has taught this, so every generation needs to test it out. History has taught us the significance of people or family or others, and so we participate in the family of God. We guard this, we honor this by holding to the value of community. I love this picture of community in the ordinary, walking home in a difficult season where life is not going as planned. And might I also suggest that right now in October, we allow ourselves to start over. It has been a tough season across COVID and all else that has been going on with you, and I don't know all of your story. But I wonder, might we, as we're looking at our values, might we use this as an opportunity to start afresh? Can we start with clean sheets? Maybe you feel like this community has let you down over the last year. Or maybe you feel like you have let it down. Can we start afresh? Can we acknowledge that it was tough? I mean, if you need to say sorry, say your sorries. But also maybe you feel like you've stepped away from God Allow yourself to start afresh. Jesus is walking beside you, wanting to join in in your conversation. Will you let him? I love this picture of community. In the ordinary, walking home, in a difficult season where life is not going as planned, in the learning, discovering a new perspective, but then the conversation moves up a gear. The significance of invitation, the move from conversation to communion, there is so much in this one incident about community. At Central, we have a vision statement. Joining with God and others in the transformation of the city as disciples who make disciples. And it starts with joining with God. The other parts only carry dignity and purpose when it connects with God. We only carry dignity and purpose when we connect with God. So let's be a community centered around Jesus. Let's allow him to join with us when we're vulnerable. Let's be honest with ourselves and each other. Let's allow him to not just usher in a rich perspective, but school us in his ways. And then let's respond with hospitality with experiencing his communion and seeing him. Don't you just love that bit at the end of the passage when they get up and they head back to Jerusalem to tell each others? And I love that. I love that Cleopas and his companion got to share this. They get to join in the testimony of others. They shared this moment. So when one is doubting, the other could go, look, it happened. I was there too. It happened. There's an authenticity to their testimony because they shared it. And without giving away Dave's punchline for next week, are we going to be a community 
who have had communion with God to the extent that we have to rush out and tell others. We have to tell our friends. And so we have a picture of what happens when you meet Jesus. You have to share the news. I love this picture of community in the ordinary walking home, in the difficult season when life is not going as planned, in the learning, discovering a new perspective, in the mess around a table. Will you carry this image? Will you carry this value of community? Not give it lip service, but find ways to allow the heartbeat, the communion with God to take root and find ways to practice it. Maybe we start by getting rid of ideas that we all need to be the same and embrace our difference, united only in Jesus. Maybe we find ways to spur each other on, to welcome not just each other, but the stranger, and savor those communion moments when we are so touched that we have to share it. 